Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. <laughs> Promises, as the saying goes, are made to be broken. But taking an oath, that is meant to be solemn. And the young man who spilled the secrets about the NSA, Edward Snowden, he took an oath, and it went like this, to, quote, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So when Snowden broke secrecy, did he break his oath, given that those secrets have now in all likelihood reached our enemies? Or did he uphold his oath? Because what he exposed in those programs arguably fights the Constitution itself. Well, that sounds like the makings of a great debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Snowden was justified. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We're here at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. We have four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against this motion. Snowden was justified. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. And let's meet one of the first debaters here to argue in support of this motion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ben Wisner. And Ben, you are the director of the ACLU Speech Privacy Technology Project. You are also personally a legal advisor to Edward Snowden. And Ben, we understand the two of you are in regular contact. Not long ago, you, you were in Russia visiting him. And so just out of curiosity, is he, is he watching this debate tonight? Well, you know, there's a nine-hour time difference, but he's a night owl. So I would put the chances at about 50-50. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Weisner. Thank you. And Ben... Ben, would you introduce your partner? Uh, I am joined tonight by a genuine American hero, Pentagon Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Ellsberg. <laughs> Daniel Ellsberg, you were once called the most dangerous man in America by Henry Kissinger. And in 1971, you leaked the Pentagon Papers' 7,000-page top-secret study that detailed government secrecy and deception during the Vietnam War. Newspapers published it. It came out as a book. But the papers themselves were only officially declassified and released by the federal government in 2011, 40 years after the fact. What do you make of that, Daniel Ellsberg? Well, it's a pretty good demonstration of the absurdity of the classification system. Probably 98% of what is now classified, and we're talking about billions of pages here, that is more than two or three years old should not still bear a classification sense, or let's right. say, say five years old. So we're getting a little bit of a look ahead at what your arguments are going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Ellsberg. Our motion is this. Snowden was justified in here to argue against the motion. We have two debaters. First, please, let's welcome Andrew McCarthy. 
And Andrew, you are a former chief assistant U.S. attorney who led the prosecution against the blind sheikh, Omar Abdelrahman, and 11 others for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. This is your second time, actually, debating with us. The first time was almost seven years ago. The motion that night was better, more domestic surveillance than another 9-11. And maybe we don't have to ask, but what side were you on? Uh, believe it or not, I was on the uh, better, more surveillance side. And, and so, <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do? Well, I, I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to push on that one. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew McCarthy. And Andrew, your debating partner is? A great American patriot, the former CIA director, Jim Woolsey. Ladies and gentlemen, James Woolsey. James, you are also arguing against this motion, Snowden was justified. You were CIA director from 1993 to 1995. You served on five different occasions under both Republican and Democratic administrations. Your life post-government has included working on security and alternative energy issues. But here is an interesting thing that we dug up two years ago. Uh, in, a, in a theatrical workshop, you actually played a CIA director. <laughs> what was the name of the CIA director you played? Heinous Overreach. <laughs> <laughs> which, which tells us, if nothing else, you have a sense of humor. Thank you, James Woolsey. So on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater speaking in turn, uninterrupted. Our motion is this. Snowden was justified. And here to speak first in support of this motion, Ben Wisner. He is legal advisor to Edward Snowden, and he is the director of the American Civil Liberties Union Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ben Wisner. On June 7th of last year, following the publication of the first NSA stories in the Washington Post and The Guardian, but before Edward Snowden had revealed his identity to us, President Obama addressed the revelations, and he said, I welcome this debate, and I think it is healthy for our democracy. The president was right. This debate has been healthy for our democracy and for democracies around the world. A debate about the threat that mass surveillance poses to free societies, about how surveillance technologies have outpaced democratic controls, about whether the Internet will be an instrument of democratic liberation or authoritarian control that provides the best answer to tonight's debate. Edward Snowden is justified because he provided to journalists and through them to us information that we had a right to know and that we had a need to know. The government had not just concealed this information, it had lied to us about it. Now, in those same June 7th remarks, President Obama also defended the government's surveillance practices. He said that those practices had been blessed and approved by all three branches of government. Now, in making that point, President Obama probably would have said that he was joining our opponent's table. I would respectfully submit that exactly the opposite is true. I say it because the same oversight bodies that had blessed these activities in the dark have dramatically challenged them and changed course in the light. Now all three branches of government are engaged in a historic reevaluation of the NSA's surveillance practices. Let's begin with Congress. When The Guardian revealed that the NSA had been collected the phone records of every American on a daily basis, many members of Congress expressed shock, even though that program was purportedly authorized by Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Now there's been a lot of debate since then uh, about whether Congress did or did not know or what they knew or did not know. But does it really matter? 
Either way, this was a colossal failure of oversight. Now, what about our courts? The court that had blessed the NSA's mass surveillance of Americans is a specialized court that meets in secret and hears only from the government. Over the last decade, it expanded its role to rule on the legality and constitutionality of programmatic surveillance. Now, when groups like the ACLU tried to challenge the NSA's activities in open federal courts, an interesting thing happened. Uh, The government didn't say to those courts that the programs were illegal. Uh, The government said that we had no right to be in court. The government's argument was we couldn't prove that we had been surveilled, therefore we had no standing uh, to even raise these challenges. Now, what's happened since Edward Snowden's act of conscience? Well, two federal judges have now considered whether the NSA's mass collection of Americans' phone data uh, is legal. One said it's almost certainly unconstitutional, almost Orwellian. Another disagreed, but the key point is that both of these judges heard the challenge. They both agreed that we had standing to challenge the program, which was a remarkable development in itself. Even the executive branch has undergone an extraordinary reevaluation of these programs. An NSA review panel appointed by the president, uh, which included very, very senior former intelligence officials, the number two at the CIA, concluded that the NSA had allowed its technological capabilities to dictate its surveillance practices rather than ensuring that its practices conform to our laws and values. None of this would have happened without Edward Snowden. For that reason alone, he was justified. Thank you, Ben Wisner. And that's our motion. Snowden was justified. And now here to speak against this motion, I'd like to bring to the lectern James Woolsey. He is chairman of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and a former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome James Woolsey. Uh, A couple of uh, introductory uh, points. Once you release material that had been classified or restricted for any other contractual or any other reason. You release it to the world. Mr. Snowden pledged to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, but he didn't do that. What he did was steal and release material that went to, among others, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Pyongyang, Tehran, and so on. What uh, are the consequences of this, of dealing with international relations in this way? China is the bad boy of cyber attacks. Throughout the world, Chinese cyber attacks, theft of uh, information and material, malware, on and on, are a nuisance at, at best and a potential tragedy at worst to a huge range of uh, countries and individuals. We had figured out a way, pre-Snowden, to uh, create a possibility whereby we could take their malware and send it back to them after making some adjustments and create problems for them rather than they creating problems for us. It's a clever operation. Mr. Snowden, of course, ended it by explicitly turning loose material that dealt with it precisely. We um, have an organization in the Middle East, the Islamic uh, State of Iraq, a terrorist organization of the worst kind. Pre-Snowden, we were reading not only their emails, but their preparation, their early stage drafts of emails. 
Had we been reading fully the emails of al-Qaeda before 9-11, we might well have saved thousands of lives. But here, our ability to read ISI's emails has been obliterated by having been made public to the terrorist group itself. In Latin America, we have come to find how to penetrate the communication networks of some of the worst organizations and groups that are selling women into sexual slavery. We had a very good handle on how that was being done and that uh, trafficking, that human trafficking network and our knowledge of their capabilities is, of course, now gone with Snowden having released that to those who are enslaving women in that part of the world. James Wolsey, I'm sorry your time is up. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Snowden was justified. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Debating for the motion, Snowden was justified, Daniel Ellsberg, a former U.S. military analyst and the Pentagon's paper, Whistleblowers. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Ellsberg. Thank you very much. Yes, I believe that Edward Snowden was fully justified in what he did. I think that he was justified to the same degree and in the same way that I believe I was justified in releasing 4,000 or 7,000 pages of top-secret documents uh, 40 years ago, the Pentagon Papers. Uh, I believe that I had been mistaken earlier to keep silent about what I knew to be lies by my president, Lyndon Johnson, and later the president, Richard Nixon, for whom I'd also worked, about what they were doing, what was happening, what the costs were, what the prospects were in Vietnam. I was concerned at that moment, not so much about the Constitution, which had clearly been violated, but I was concerned at the people who were dying on both sides, wrongly, I thought, by our escalations and by those lies. I'm saying that Snowden, I believe, did what needed to be done, what the public needed to know, I think there was no other way, no better way and almost no other way for that information to get out, that it was worth, as he said, taking the utmost risks to his freedom and even his life. I believe firmly that Edward Snowden is no more a traitor than I am or that I was, and I'm not. I was called every name that has been called uh, virtually to Edward Snowden, or for that matter to Chelsea Manning earlier, in terms of blood on hands as to what would be uh, the benefit, the uh, cost of this. None of that came out in my case, which is, I think, why I'm seen somewhat differently now, 40 years later. Nothing in Chelsea Manning's trial actually came out to justify the statement that people had died uh, as a result of his revelations. And I think you should take with more than a grain of salt the descriptions right now that uh, much worse will happen from Edward Snowden. Revelations. 
As a matter of fact, Ambassador uh, Woolsey has said that he thought there should be a due process, there should be a trial for treason, that's something I'd argue with, but he believes then as a result he should get the maximum penalty for that, which is to be hanged by the neck till he is dead. Now, actually, one American was hanged by the neck for giving secrets to Americans. He was the first American to be charged with giving secrets to Americans. I was the second. His name was Nathan Hale, and it was a name that used to be known to every American schoolchild, and I've found, sadly, that that seems, seems not to be the case today. And he was an American spy for George Washington during the American Revolution, hanged by the British, and the reason he was remembered during my uh, growing up was for his words on the gallows. I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. What country was that? Not the country of his birth. That was the colony of King George III, in which he was in rebellion and was hard-charged with treason, essentially, of which he was essentially guilty to George III, like every other signer of the Declaration of Independence, five of whom, out of 56, were hanged. But they'd pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, like Nathan Hale, to a country that did not yet exist, a country of later to be, shortly to be, of a constitution with separation of powers, independent branches with checks and balances against each other, and a country with a Bill of Rights. When Snowden said there were things worth dying for, I agreed with him. That's the mood in which I gave the Pentagon Papers, and I think he was right to do what he did to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. Thank you, Daniel Ellsberg. Our motion is Snowden was justified. And here to make his argument against this motion, our final speaker in the opening round, Andrew McCarthy. He is a contributing editor to the National Review and a former federal prosecutor. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew McCarthy. Let me jump right in. Uh, notice that uh, Mr. Ellsberg mentioned that he removed, he said, somewhere between four and 7,000 documents, and that was what was put out. Snowden has released 1.7 million documents. He couldn't conceivably have known what was in the documents at the time of purloining them and putting them out. We're talking about a massively different leak and one that's been massively damaging to the United States. John mentioned that this is my second rodeo at uh, Intelligence Squared. When I was here the last time, the question was whether we needed to have more surveillance to prevent terrorist attacks. It was interesting. The audience was of a mind that, you know, we absolutely did need more surveillance. They recognized we had serious enemies of the United States who wanted to mass murder Americans. But something made them uncomfortable. And when we got to talk to them afterwards, I got to find out what the something was. George Bush. Not George Bush the person, but the concept that so much power was reposed in one individual, that one person could be able to order warrantless surveillance, this idea that we don't have enough checks and balances, we don't have enough legislative buy-in, we don't have enough judicial oversight. It's interesting because what President Bush was trying to impose on this sort of new kind of war was old rules of war. And they were probably best explained in 1948, at least the reason for them, by Robert Jackson, 
uh, Nuremberg prosecutor, Supreme Court justice, FDR's attorney general. In a 1948 uh, case called Chicago and Southern Airlines versus Waterman, he explained why national security had to be an executive responsibility. And the primary reason was, in a free democracy, the framers thought the most important decisions we make are the decisions about our national security. And they need to be made by elected officials who answer to the people whose lives are at stake. And when you transfer that responsibility over to courts, you take it from the accountable public officials to public officials who are purposely insulated from politics and who you can't get rid of when they get it wrong. Well, we've spent about a half century now experimenting with how far we can afford to depart from the vision of the framers. But here's the interesting thing. We did get to a place where we came together, and even if everybody was not satisfied with the outcome, we did strike a balance. We established laws which took away a lot of the president's unilateral power, forced the president to go to judges in order to get surveillance authority, institutionalized rigorous congressional oversight. In fact, most of what we know about abuses at the NSA actually comes from self-reporting, whether it's self-reporting to courts or self-reporting to Congress. But here's the thing. We actually set up this system with exactly the checks and balances that were at issue during the Bush days, the bad old Bush days when too much power was reposed in one person. And now where are we with Edward Snowden? We're right back to one person, one person who decides what American secrets get kept and what gets exposed. And that person's not the president anymore. That person is a person who had access to this information because he violated his oath. The last time I was here, the audience told me that could never, ever be justified. Thank you, Andrew McCarthy. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is Snowden was justified. Now on to round two. In round two, the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you in the audience. Our motion is this. Snowden was justified. Arguing for the motion, we've heard from Daniel Ellsberg and Ben Wisner. They have argued that the reaction itself to the revelations, the, the spasm of reform happening in Washington now, indicates that something was wrong, that there was something to blow the whistle on. And at bottom, there was no other way for Edward Snowden to do what he wanted to do. And by the way, he didn't set out to spy for our enemies. The team arguing against the motion, James Woolsey and Andrew McCarthy, say nothing justifies what Edward Snowden has done to the United States, that in fact he has caused serious harm to America's security. They say a sign of the irresponsibility of what he did is the sheer number of documents that he released. He could not possibly have known himself what was in all of them, and that, by the way, the internal system does work. Oversight carefully negotiated and worked out for years is functioning as well as it can. I want to put first to the side that's arguing against this motion, this question of uh, as to whether what Snowden revealed to the degree that we know it was in any way, say, whistle-worthy. Anything wrong with those programs? Did they need to be exposed in the first place? Andrew McCarthy. Well, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, one of the last times that uh, FBI Director Mueller testified before Congress, uh, he was asked by our congressman uh, here in New York, Jerry Nadler, 
what the big deal was about this, because as far as the metadata was concerned, uh, he said, we know all about this. We heard about bulk collections back in 2006. USA Today had put uh, uh, an article out back then. The, the broad outlines of this were known. Uh, so in terms of, of, of the program that is most controversial, there's no question that, that what Snowden has revealed has filled out some details that we didn't know about, and certainly the breadth of what's been collected makes you blanch when you hear it. But in principle, that part of the, the revelation has been known for a, a long period of time. So, Andrew, just to, to focus on, uh, on the question, I hear where you're going with this, but to, to the basic question of whether there was really anything whistleblow-worthy, you're not concerned by what he revealed as being uh, in violation of the Constitution, which is his argument. That's two different things. It's not that I'm not concerned. Congress is concerned. That's why there'll probably be some modifications of the law. Was it whistleblower-worthy? No. Okay, let me go to uh, Ben Wisner, please, on the other side. Your response. Well, I've been following this issue very closely, to say the least, over the last 10 years or more. I did not know until The Guardian published the document that the NSA, which is a foreign intelligence agency, was on a daily basis collecting the phone records of almost every American. Someone else who didn't know or says he didn't know uh, is Republican Representative Jim Sensenbrenner, who is one of the principal authors of the Patriot Act, who says that he didn't know uh, until this document was published that Section 215 of the Patriot Act was being used in this way. Whether, again, that's true or not isn't important to my argument. Uh, Either way, Congress didn't do anything about it. As soon as the public was read into this debate. Uh, We're now seeing open federal courts debate the constitutionality of this, uh, and we're seeing Congress threaten not to reauthorize this unless the administration will agree to reforms. James Wolsey. There's much of the controversy here involves uh, metadata, which uh, uh, lets the executive branch, lets them see and keep a record of what is on the outside of an envelope, let's say in first-class mail, the address, the uh, return address, and the postmark. That's been approved by the courts for a long time. What has changed here is not that the federal government has gone away from a reasonable policy. It was, and I think it still is. What's, what's changed is now we are talking about emails and telephone calls in the gazillions, but you still do not hear of substantial malfeasance using simply the metadata. So, James Wilson, you're saying there really was no... The the alarm did not need to be rung. Where alarms need to be rung, they should be discussed, and sometimes it's important. I stood behind at the time, and I stand behind Daniel Ellsberg now. He was dealing with policy issues and major lies that had come at us from the executive branch And he did a courageous job, defended himself in court. But what Daniel Ellsberg did, I think, deserved a whistleblowing. What happens when metadata goes as a result of the development of of electronics from one instrumentality to another doesn't change the fact that metadata is just metadata. All right, let, let me bring in Daniel Ellsberg. It's always dangerous when your opponent starts to compliment you. <laughs> it's a very tricky move. No, I, his, I appreciate His that. point being, you had something to blow a whistle about. Edward Snowden does not. 
that the Snowden revelations don't reveal anything that suggested that, okay. that a whistleblowing right. was needed. Let me, let me address that. Uh, they revealed, of course, and it's the only way we know, that Clapper, uh, Director of National Intelligence Clapper, gave a false statement. We know it from Snowden. Now, the point here is that Congress has been uh, willing to uh, con- deceive uh, the public along with uh, the NSA and the president, and that's the problem that Snowden uh, revealed. And I want to make a specific point here that was raised earlier on this metadata. Why are we talking only about metadata entirely here? First of all, there's a lot of text messages that are not metadata, 200 million a day that get brought up. But what makes us believe that we were not collecting, recording for later retrieval all the content? And the answer is the president and the others keep saying, uh, we don't do it. Why should we believe them? Mr. McCarthy, why should we believe them? Because we now have a system where there's oversight by Congress and oversight by the courts, and that has shown time and time again where they have either exceeded their authority um, or they have gone beyond what the, the legal precedent. how did we of. hear that? We heard it from Snowden's documents that came out. No, we well, saw opinions of the, of the Fisk Court, the federal yes, court, and we that had not been the, made public. Right, and from the opinions of the Fisk Court, what we see is that there's a give and take between the Fisk Court and the executive branch, which there never was before the 1970s, where they actually have to narrow the requests that they make, Look, uh, actually have to go back to, write, right. go back to their desks and rewrite the, right. the request so, that they so make. 11, 11 yeah, times. Yeah, we uh, can actually say how many times. Out of 13,000 requests for warrants, 11 had to be modified no, no, or no. refused. I want to move on to, to this point of whether he had an, another way to, if he, if he had this conviction that something was wrong, what would he do internally? What's there for him? Okay, right. Why did he have no other way? <clears throat> okay, fine. I'm glad to have the chance to address that. Um, actually, the president and others, many others, have spoken about there was a better way. The way it was done was sensational, more heat than light. There were better ways to do that. I think that's clearly wrong. I really question whether the president is so misinformed about the situation as actually to believe that. There were four NSA high officials, senior officials. Uh, I'll name them Kurt Wiebe, uh, Ed Loomis, Bill Binney, and Thomas Drake, who have among them an average of 30 years in the NSA. One is 28, another is 32. Who left the NSA because it conflicted with their conscience uh, eventually. Uh, They left it because it conflicted with the Constitution they had tested the proposition that is, there are other ways to do it in every possible way. They had complained to their superiors that the then warrantless surveillance that was going on since 9-11 was unconstitutional, was a violation of the Fourth it, what Amendment. What was the constitutional Pardon? violation? The Fourth Amendment. They went to the inspector generals of NSA and of the DIB. They went to congressional staff and asked to testify. They asked to testify in open court under, under oath. They got nowhere. Every one of them was subject wrongly to an FBI raid which took their computers without charging them ever with anything. They have each said, in contrast, without endorsing everything that Snowden has said, they have said the path he used was the only way to do what they had tried to do, was to bring this to the attention of Congress and the public, and that there was no other way to do it. What's your response to that? He could have gone to Congress, which is the the main place that he could have gone to. Uh, He could have gone to inspectors general in his own agency. I haven't heard any evidence that he actually tried to take any of these steps 
whatsoever. Did he try? Yeah, he did. He, he did. He, he certainly has told Barton Gelman of the Washington Post that he did complain regularly internally. But it's interesting that you think he should have gone to the same Congress that you say knew everything that he was going to report. Congress did know. He was supposed to tell Se- Senator Wyden was on the floor of the Senate with his hair on fire saying, if only the public knew what I knew, they would be outraged. They would be furious. Well, we didn't know because he didn't tell us. Uh, we only know it because Wyden Edward Snowden gave it to the press and the press told us now the rules are changing. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. I want to remind you we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. Snowden was justified. I want to go to audience questions now. Sir, could you stand up, please? Thank you. My question concerns, was it necessary for Snowden to divulge the amount of information that he did and still create the process that he was seeking? Ben Weisner. Well, I I think this gives us another opportunity to to clarify and to respond to one of Andy McCarthy's points. But you Uh, are going to answer his question. Yes. The number of documents that Snowden has disclosed is zero. Snowden provided a great deal of material to journalists. Uh, His instructions to those reporters were that they, in consultation with their own editors, using their own judgment of what was in the public interest, and in consultation with the United States government, should publish what the public ought to know and should withhold what the public should not know. Uh, There have been redactions. But then why why should critics of Snowden feel better about that? What I'm saying is there is a difference and and a long tradition uh, of having journalists compete with the security state over what should be secret and what should be public. If you look at the last decade, what we would not have known without leaks and investigative journalists, we wouldn't have known about torture at Abu Ghraib. We wouldn't have known that the CIA had set up a network of secret prisons across Europe and the Middle East. We wouldn't have known that the NSA had engaged in warrantless wiretapping before this was legalized by Congress in 2008. All of this we know because journalists engage in competition uh, with government for what the public ought to know uh, and, and what it shouldn't know. Now, what Snowden did was on a larger scale. Uh, He gave a large amount of information to journalists, and those journalists include journalists around the world. I think part of what he wanted us to understand is that this is not about demonizing the NSA. Uh, The threat of mass dragnet surveillance, of collecting information about all of us in case one of us comes under suspicion, uh, is a threat to all free societies. Sir, was your question, couldn't he have done the same thing with fewer documents? Okay, could he have not done more, the same thing with fewer documents? We don't know the answer yet. We don't know what has still to be published. It's possible that the most important revelation that Snowden provided to journalists has not yet been published. Uh, Jim Wilson, do you want to respond to that? Yes. Um, Snowden has released in some fashion, maybe he doesn't consider giving to newspaper reporters and letting them hold on to it while they release, but nonetheless, he's released, according to the press... (laughs) 1.7 No, no. According to national security officials, not according to the press. The press quoting unnamed national security officials, quoting classified reports. uh, That information is as false as their testimony was to Congress before. It's an interesting dance. We We can track back through that if you want. But I think the key issue is what has he provided to the outside world that gets put in places where people can publicly read it. I gave you four examples of four major American programs that were extremely useful 
And the blog material indicates that these, this is material that was disclosed as a result of Snowden's efforts and operations. And we lost all four of those programs, and we will lose a lot so more. So does that concern this side? Well, the answer I've heard, and it's a question of who you believe on this, is that Snowden said that he had actually the knowledge of practically every clandestine uh, office of NSA. He said he had no intention of releasing that or taking it with him to China or anywhere else, that he took any classified information, because that would not be in the public interest. First of all, I trust his judgment as to what the public ought to know or not know about NSA more than I trust the judgment of anybody who said none of this should be known to the public. I don't think their judgment is to be trusted at all. And I do trust subject to analysis. It's the Congress and the courts. And as the four people in NSA uh, have all said, it is essential that there be a group of techies, nerds, hacker types who have the technical knowledge reporting with full access to NSA data, reporting to Congress and to the judiciary, and that's the only way we will get this system under constitutional control. Does anyone have control. a question that will be directed to this side? How could Snowden have approached Congress? I mean, specifically, if someone in his position wanted to have approached Congress, how would he do that. I think he pick up the telephone and called the staff director of the intelligence committee and say, I have a very sensitive matter that I need to discuss with you. Would you make an appointment with me? I don't and Jim, think it's I mean, for those of us who don't know, that is a realistic scenario. They would take the call. They would take it seriously. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it, it, Congress does its sometimes rather clumsy best to be responsive to voters and, and, uh, I think that as a member of the executive branch and position of importance, if you wanted to talk to staffer probably initially and then to perhaps a member, I don't think there are huge barriers to that. There may be with individuals who don't want to be bothered or shouldn't have that job because they're not any good at it. Somebody else ought to have it. That happens. There are 535 members up there, and they don't all do the same thing. Believe me. Can I respond uh, to this briefly? Ben Weisner, sure. Yeah, because I think that, that, that we may be slightly on the wrong track here. Sometimes the scandal uh, is something that is illegal that's going on that people don't know about, that Congress doesn't know about, and what the proper channel is to go to Congress and alert them. Sometimes the scandal uh, is that a whole regime has been created in secret, uh, that the system deems legal. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. Uh, I believe that these programs were briefed to the committees. Uh, I believe that the intelligence committees routinely approved this and were briefed on this. Uh, a 29-year-old contractor calls up Congress and says, excuse me, I need to really tell you what you have wrongly approved in secret. No, what was needed was for the public to know. And once the public knew, everything changed. Going back to questions from the audience. Sir? Um, Some could say that we are not free unless we are safe. And we know that there are malicious actors. We know that the intent of the NSA's programs were to get these malicious actors. Why is he justified in the context that we are now safer? Ben Weisner. Well, you know, again, I, I treat with great skepticism the claims that we're less safe. Um, the, the Nixon administration, in trying to block the publication of the Pentagon Papers in the New York Times, uh, told the Supreme Court that their publication would cause great and irreparable harm to the security of the United States. 
Now, that was nonsense, and the lawyer who wrote that brief said so 15 years ago uh, in an apologetic op-ed in the Washington Post. I think these claims of harm to national security don't age as well as whistleblowers, who age very, very well. Um, But look, we're not just talking about protecting ourselves from a threat of terrorism, uh, which, although severe, uh, is not a common occurrence. We're talking about protecting our republic. Uh, And and sometimes our republic is more threatened by what we don't know uh, than by publication of things that also alert our enemies. That's a tension that we face in a democracy. But the cost uh, of democracy is that our enemies have to hear this, too. Uh, and I think that it's in all, our best, all of our best interest to put more of our resources into defending the security of our communications uh, rather than being sure that we can listen to every conversation Okay, in the let's world. hear from your opponent, Andrew uh, McCarthy. May I just say that um, having worked in the government for a very long time, it's not unknown to me, and addressing Mr. Wisner's point about hyperbole, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's not the most attractive propensity in government. But... The fact that we ought to take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt doesn't mean that we can't draw a common-sense judgment that we've been profoundly harmed. When you give up secrets, you, want, you say that you, the public needs to know. Well, you can't inform the public about the methods and sources of the intelligence community without informing people who want to mass murder Americans. You can't inform the public about methods and sources not only of your own intelligence service, but of the foreign intelligence services that we depend on the cooperation of to keep Americans safe without convincing those foreign services that we are no longer trustworthy repositories of their secrets. When you reveal not only our secrets, but their secrets, then we lose that cooperation. And that means that we lose our sources of information in the places of the world that are most dangerous to us. Round two. That concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is Snowden was justified. And now we move on to round three. And round three is where each of the debaters make brief closing statements. Two minutes each, uninterrupted. Let's go to the first of these speakers speaking for the motion. Ben Wisner, legal advisor to Edward Snowden and director of the ACL Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Wisner. Uh, For much of our history, our privacy was protected as much by cost as by law. It was simply too expensive for governments to track most of us most of the time. Now, because of technology, for the first time in our history, it's technologically and feasibly possible for governments to track all of us on a massive scale. We now know that the NSA has built that capability and has used it in ways that are profoundly troubling to many of us. Now, whether and with what controls we should entrust our government with those kinds of enormous powers is a hugely consequential decision in a democracy. We should have debated this issue before the NSA deployed a global dragnet surveillance apparatus. We didn't. But it's not too late to debate it now and to impose strong democratic controls. Now, I began this debate by quoting President Obama, and I'm going to end in the same way. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, he gave a speech in January uh, about NSA surveillance and the reforms that he would be implementing and proposing. And President Obama repeated his words from June. He said, one thing I am certain of, 
this debate will make us stronger. The President of the United States believes that the debate Edward Snowden launched, a debate that no one can seriously argue would have taken place without him, has made our nation stronger. Thank you, Ben Weisner. I can't Weisner. think of any stronger justification Thank you. I'm sorry, your time is up. And thank you, Ben Weisner. And our motion is Snowden was justified. And here to summarize his position against this motion, James Woolsey. He is chairman of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and former director of the CIA. Ladies and gentlemen, James Woolsey. Thank you. I want to take a couple of minutes to describe one incident in my time as director of central intelligence, and it's how I think things like this ought to be done. A a newspaper reporter was working on a story, and from the questions that he was asking and whom he was asking them of at the CIA, it was quite clear that he was on to an extremely sensitive operation that we were conducting, a legal one, I would say, and one that was uh, potentially great benefit to the United States, but extremely dangerous. We did not want him to pursue that line of investigation. He was persistent. I asked if I could go see the editor of the paper one-on-one. And the two of us talked. And I said, I'm going to do something that no regulation authorizes. Would you promise me you'll never say anything about what I'm going to say to you here to anybody ever? He said, yes, I'll promise. I said, okay, here's the problem. I explained how we were almost certainly going to lose one of our officers and one of his sources killed if we continued to see the kind of material coming out that his reporter was working on. We talked, and we figured out that if he would just eliminate any reference in the reporter's story to time and date, that we could probably have a reasonably secure situation. He thought about it for a bit. He was not used to having suggestions in the editing of his newspaper come from the director of the CIA. He thought for a second. We shook hands on it. We did what we said we were going to do. And the uh, story went forward without the time and date, and the operation succeeded. Thank you, James Wolsey. I'm sorry that your time is up. Our motion is Snowden was justified. And here... To argue in support of this motion in his closing statement, Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon's paper whistleblower and former U.S. military analyst. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Ellsberg. Thank you. I I agree with Ambassador Woolsey that that was, as Director of Central Intelligence, an appropriate way to behave, that you were convincing, and that the news editor was right, convinced by your argument, to change it. The Guardian and the Washington Post have both said that they have modified at the request of the NSA virtually every story that they have written. They did not accept all the objections, but that in every case they have done some. I think that's uh, appropriate. When it comes to uh, 9-11, if anyone here in this audience or at this table believes that Edward Snowden or any of us uh, wants to increase the risk of another 9-11 or is indifferent to that, I think they are uh, being very foolish. When it comes to having gone to Congress, uh, I think he learned from the example specifically of the NSA four people that I've talked about uh, that that would be a foolish thing to do. I must say that if you had asked me a year ago when I believed these people as to what was being collected, whether there was any chance of reining this in and preserving our democracy, the separation of powers and everything, with what was being collected, I would have been very pessimistic. Edward Snowden has given me hope. 
And I would say when it comes thank to you, your, Daniel solemn, your solemn oath to Thank you. I'm sorry you're out of time, but thank you. Our motion is Snowden was justified and here to summarize his position. Andrew McCarthy, he's contributing editor to the National Review and former chief assistant U.S. attorney. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew McCarthy. Well, finally, I get to agree with Daniel Ellsberg. I think it's absolutely clear and absolutely sure that no one at that table wants another 9-11 to happen. And you know what? No one at the FBI wanted 9-11 to happen either. I know because I worked with those guys for years, knowing the enemy that we were up against. And yet that didn't stop us from putting in regulations to the point that two weeks before 9-11 happened, we had two of the hijackers known to the FBI to be here, and the intelligence part of the FBI didn't allow the criminal investigative part of the FBI to try to track them down because of the internal regulations that we had put in, because we thought that we could impose more law enforcement rules on a national security problem. Now, we are in an eternal tension between liberty and security. We're never going to resolve it. But the fact is, we've spent now, in earnest since 9-11, but certainly going back to the 1970s, a great amount of our time trying to grapple with how do you impose the rule of law on the demands of war? Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't get it right. But the point is, we're now at least at a place where civil liberties actually are elevated in a way that they never were before. And that's something to be celebrated, and breaking that is not something that can be justified. Thank you, Andrew McCarthy. And that concludes our closing statements. I would just like to ask uh, everyone to show their appreciation for the level of, uh, of respect and intelligence that these debaters brought to the stage here today. Okay, so it is all in. Remember, the way we do this is the team whose numbers have moved the most between the first and second vote in percentage point terms will be declared our winner. Here are the numbers. Our motion was Snowden was justified. Before the debate, 29% of you agreed with this motion. 29% were against, and 42% were undecided. So those are the first results. A big undecided. Here is the second vote now. On the team arguing for the motion, their second vote is 54%. That went from 29% to 54%. That's 25 percentage points. That's the number to beat. Now the side arguing against the motion, their second vote was 35%. They pulled up six percentage points, but it's not enough. The side arguing for the motion, Snowden was justified, declared our winners. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S., We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.